Hello all, welcome to the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, podcastforseedsing.com. I am your host, Arden Kulik, and with me here is the man that I will spend a whole month, the man who days after this podcast drops will be 40. 40. Yep. I'm not 40. <laughs> <laughs> that's the greatest You're older than me. <laughs> that's the greatest other ho- I'm not 40. That's the greatest <laughs> other host, Ty. How are you today, Ty? Hi everybody. It's weird. So, sometime contributor to the podcast and website Kirk Kirk Og. Him and I run together every week and neither of us really care about birthdays, but him more so than me. And he even said to me because he's older than I am. He said 40s different. Now that I'm knocking on the doorstep of it, my wife and I were chatting last night and I told her this feels different. Like I went for a run today before we we're recording this and my bones hurt more today than they did a week ago. I told my my daughter who's seven, I was like, oh, I'm going to be so old next week. And she said, you're not old, dad. I said, but when I was 40, the whole joke was, or when I was young and 40 was, you're over the hill, you're halfway to dying. I don't know. It's been very surreal. I'm going to write about it next week on my birthday, how surreal it is. But for I don't care about birthdays, but this one feels different. 40 was when I felt like I was an adult. Oh, okay. So it's not 21 or 25 or even, I think 30 is when I felt like an adult. Maybe it was when my kid was born. And then I regressed. So that's, uh, (laughs) haven't we all though? Yeah. I spent the I spent the pandemic, even though I need to get rid of the belly fat, getting myself all jacked on the upper body and wearing my T-shirts and stuff. So I'm like, I just regress because I wear, you know, dumbass T-shirts all the time now, like I'm some cool uh, kid. I've been wearing I, the sweatshirt I have on while we're recording is one I got at the start of the pandemic and it's got holes in it and I still wear it every day because mm-hmm. it's the most comfortable sweatshirt I have. That's right. If people don't get it is everybody made fun of Adam Sandler being such a slob. That's what we aspire to be. A hundred percent. I have no problem with the way he dresses. Which, I mean, before we go on, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but I didn't realize he's getting a whole bunch of like awards love for that basketball movie. You yeah. Know. that. Have you not seen that movie? No, that movie I need rules, to watch dude. it. Dude, yeah. it's so good. And it's, again, parenting of the year or whatever, but it's rated R, but I let my son watch it because it's rated R for bad words. He hears mm-hmm. them in my car every day. That movie's really good. And not only is he good in it, but uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, who plays Bo Cruz, an NBA player. Mm-hmm. shockingly believable mm-hmm. as a wannabe NBA player. I'm glad they went out and got like somebody who's not as big of a name, like only basketball nerds like myself know. Because if they had put... Wasn't like, he a lottery pick, though? No, he wasn't a lottery oh, pick. I, I thought he think was. So. Oh, okay. But, right. if, but I'm just saying, if you put like, let's say you put Luka Doncic in that role, or Trey Young or somebody like that, it wouldn't be as believable as taking Wacho Hernan Gomez and putting him in there. So I, I'm stoked with what they did with that. that that's a great movie. Well, That'll probably be on my best of list. <laughs> well, I was saying that's uh, <laughs> we're doing here. Is, so this is where the schedule sits. We have two weeks, and then it's going to be the weekend of Christmas and the weekend of New Year's. So we'll probably do one podcast in that time period between Christmas and New Year's. But for the most part, these next two weeks, this is going to be the best of. And today's going to be a little bit weirder because it's going to be like all our podcasts in two parts, but you're going to hightail your ass out of here after part one. <laughs> so. Well, you and I did all our political talk off mic. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do sports and politics. And at the very end of this half, it's going to kind of meld together. And then next week, we're going to do uh, movies, music and television. And uh, like television, I mean, I've got we always do like a top five and I've got a top five of TV that's just solid. And then I was writing down movies and realizing I have a top five of movies I need to see, like Hustle. That's what it's called, Hustle, right? Hustle, yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. Uh, so I have a top five of movies I need to see because I haven't seen a lot this year, which is weird. I, I tend to do that. But nothing's going to be better than Avatar, Swimming Pool, or whatever. 
I could not care less. <laughs> Again, and I'll talk about this in this half of the podcast that we do, but my father and I were watching football and they showed a preview for that Avatar movie. And I told him, now I saw the first one in the theaters, didn't like it, found it to be incredibly boring. And But I told our father, I have zero interest in seeing that movie. And he said, you and me both. Yeah. So. Well, I, everybody's <laughs> coming out and they're like, the reviews are great. And everybody's like, this sure. is movie making and stuff. I go, no, no, no. You guys suckered me 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. You, you all told me it was great 10 years ago. And I saw that movie like a week before my son was born. So my wife was uh-huh. very, very pregnant. And she was all like worried about like there was a, a website at the time called Run P and it told you in movies when yeah. to go to the bathroom because she didn't want to miss anything. And I swear to God, <laughs> I think 20 minutes of the movie, she's like, I don't freaking care if I miss anything. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> I'm That's like, the right way to go. You and it. me both. So, yeah, I'm sorry, critics. You're, you're not suckering me in. OK, no, I, I, great that it's getting good reviews. I love that they're doing all that stuff. I, I will not be I don't even think I'll watch that movie when it's streaming. Oh, so. no. God, hell no. <laughs> Like I said, I still have Black Adam to see, Wakanda Forever to see, the Knives Out Glass Onion's going to be on Netflix later. But anyways, my point is we'll cover all that. Let's talk sports here, okay? And I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to begin where we're going to also essentially end. Let's bookend the year in sports and let's start with your sport, college football. Yeah, so college football's been great. From 2021 through now going into 2023, college football's been fantastic for me. As all of you know, I am a humongous Michigan fan. I have a Michigan tattoo on my back. I didn't go to school there. I wasn't born there. I've lived in Missouri my whole life, but our parents are from Michigan and our father is a huge Michigan fan. And as a kid, that was my way to get in with dad, to sit with dad, to do stuff with him was to watch Michigan football. So I've been a fan my entire life. I talked about it last year. They finally broke through. They beat Ohio State. It was great. And then in 2022, at the start of 2022, they made the college football playoff and As a fan, I was like, this is great. They beat Ohio State. They're in the college football playoff. If they were to beat Georgia, fantastic. Never in my wildest dreams did I think they had a chance. And Georgia beat the hell out of them. That game wasn't close. Georgia found a way to neutralize Hutchinson, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo. But it felt like there's no moral victories in sports. I've said that much, but this felt like a stepping stone for me. Harbaugh finally had them over the hump. Like I said, they beat Ohio State. And they didn't just beat Ohio State. They demoralized them. Like it was... They ran over that team, and I know the player, oh, we had the flu, and we couldn't grip the football, and yada, 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 whatever. But then Michigan ran up against the buzzsaw that was Georgia. And that college football title game last year mm-hmm. was really good. It was in the balance for it the longest time. It was the two best teams. For sure. And Bryce Young, I do feel like the refs were slanted towards Alabama in that game because Bryce Young's a great quarterback, and Nick Saban, who I'll talk about in a second here, is Nick Saban, and yada, yada, yada. But Georgia... Just kept going at it, kept barreling forward, barreling forward. And then when that kid picked off the ball and returned it for a touchdown, that's when you knew Georgia had it, that they'd won the game. They totally deserved it. They were the best team in college football last year. And that game, like I said, was really, really good until the fourth quarter when Georgia just pulled away. But I enjoyed watching that game. I thought the correct team won. Last year's college football, not not just with fans back in the stands in COVID is still around, obviously, but not as prevalent. It was nice to see college football back to normal and to see the best team win it all at the start of the 20, at finish of the 21 season going into the 2022 season. Do you want to say anything or should I keep going? No, no, I was just going to say from my standpoint, I mean, it was the first time a non-Power 5 team made 
the playoff. Yeah, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. <laughs> and you know they got worked. I, they well, were in that game for a long time. I do know I, it was something like Saban threw seven times towards uh, Sauce Gardner's way. He was a corner at UC. Yeah. And in the second half, he didn't throw his way at all. And yep. somebody asked him about it, and he said, that dude's going to be a stud in the NFL. He's which, already awesome. Yeah, which he is. <laughs> uh, I mean, which I feel bad after the Jets beat Green Bay. He's wearing the cheese head and marching I, around great, the stadium. Great for him. <laughs> Any, anything to rub it in Aaron Rodgers' face. Again, I, I hate Aaron Rodgers, and I use that word very not very often. So a- anybody who can do that to him, I- I'm all for it. Well, don't worry. He'll be in Denver or New York next year. But that's a, that's Hopefully. A, that's, a, that's for uh, another time. But – what I was going to say, though, is it, I, I think Cincinnati making the playoff is what precipitated the fact that they're going to expand the playoff, not next year, but the year after, because mm-hmm. they were like, I mean, Cincinnati belonged there. They were the fourth best team in the country. They were undefeated. Yeah. And they weren't going to beat Michigan, Georgia or Alabama, but no, they were going to beat everybody else behind them. So mm-hmm. I think that was good. But now let's move into this year. And because we're at the end, I know the Army-Navy games this weekend, but yeah. we're at the end of this season. And so you bookend Michigan in the playoff last season to, I know you're going to hate me saying this, to I think they're going to win the national title. <laughs> <laughs> I can never. I, I always tell you I wish I could be an optimist about that team, but I, I'm terrified at TCU. But anyway, no, that's what I'll say. When this season started for Michigan, I – I was like, oh, it's a bummer that Hutchinson and Ojabo are off to the pros. And they had a lot of defense to replace. And Mike McDonald left and Josh Gaddis, like, surprisingly left. And I'm like, oh, how are they going to do this? And Harbaugh had that whole flirtation with your Minnesota Vikings where I was certain he was going to leave. But he came back. And when he came back, he ended up hiring coordinators in-house. And he got a defensive coordinator from Vanderbilt, which I was like, ah, but he worked for the Ravens and he knew the defense and everything. I didn't really know how the college, like I, I've told my son this many times. I am vehemently against ranking teams at the start. These whole preseason rankings mean absolutely nothing. They are pointless. The teams haven't played a game. There's no point to rank these teams. And even after Michigan's, I know we're supposed to be talking about college football as a whole. I'm a Michigan fan. That's what I'm going to talk about. But Michigan's first three games were a joke. I'll admit it as much as anybody. They played Colorado State, Hawaii, and Connecticut. I believe Connecticut's the only one of those teams who's bowl eligible, and they snuck in at 6-6. Six and six. So I didn't know what to expect from Michigan out of those first three games. I didn't know what type of team they were going to have. I was worried that Hassan Haskins, you know, with him being gone, that Blake Corm might not be able to take on as big a role as he did. I didn't know who was going to start between Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy. I was fully on board with, well, go with McNamara. He's who got you the Big Ten title last year and beat Ohio State. But Michigan went with J.J. after the Hawaii game, J.J. McCarthy after the Hawaii game, and it was the right move. Michigan pretty much buzzsawed their way through their schedule this year. They were down at one point to Ohio State or to Penn State, seventeen to sixteen. I believe the final score of that game was forty-five seventeen. Maryland gave them a scare, but they pulled away in that game. The Illinois game was actually the closest game of the year, and I think it's hilarious all the Brett Bielema not only going after the refs for the Michigan game, but going after the refs for the Purdue game. Bielema's done a great mm-hmm. job at Illinois in two years, but he needs to chill the hell out on calling people out all the time. But After that Illinois game, I was pretty worried because Michigan was going to Columbus to play Ohio State. They hadn't won there since I was in high school. In 2000 was the last time they won in Columbus. And to see what they did, to watch that game unfold, to see them. Last year, they demoralized them. This year, they embarrassed Ohio State in Ohio State. And those guys don't have those excuses anymore. It wasn't 
snowy. It wasn't that cold. No, nobody it was, was great sick. weather. Like, yeah, I saw people in the crowd who had t-shirts on. I'm like, oh, that's, that's I a hundred miles from there, and it was gorgeous that day. Yeah, I was putting Christmas so, lights up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there were no excuses this year, and Michigan went in there, and Harbaugh and his staff had a plan, and they executed it perfectly. And it was great to see them win by. 22 points and I was stoked that they were in the Big Ten championship and all but guaranteed a playoff spot and they did secure that playoff spot by beating your wife's alma mater sorry about that and sorry that their coach is leaving I get why he's leaving (laughs) because that's your alma mater and you have to go there but this season has last year like I said it was a stepping stone this season with the way they did beat the teams that were ranked and how they just crushed Ohio State and they won the Big Ten title. I told our father, this Michigan season has been euphoric for me. It's been great to watch them. I'm terrified of everything that they have in front of them. And I, I would love, ho- hopefully, they. W- I want them to win it all every year. Horrified for what they have in front. But this season, the Michigan season has been has been great to watch. There hasn't been a weekend where I've gone to bed frustrated and trying to think about, oh, if they had done this or this or whatever. Beyond Michigan... I think the committee got it right with their four teams. Georgia and Michigan were locks. Two, only two undefeated teams in Division One football and they needed to, be, needed to be in there. I think TCU locked it up the week before. Yeah, when they, they didn't have to win the Big 12 title game, 12-1. and one. And as much as I, I wrote a whole thing about it, as much as I dislike the school, I think Ohio State is the fourth best team in the country. I think they belong over Alabama, Tennessee, Clemson, any of those teams that you want to throw in there. Now, what I will say I think college football got wrong is the Heisman finalists. Yeah. C.J. Stroud and Caleb Williams, definitely. And I think it's... I think it could have just been those two, honestly. Exactly. (laughs) But I think... And I think you could just send Caleb Williams because I think everybody knows he's who's going to win it. But Max Duggins had a fine season. Nobody's talked about him all year, and somehow he becomes a Heisman finalist. And Stetson Bennett as a Heisman finalist is a joke. That's absurd. That's just the the people who vote on that. We got to get our white kid from the number one team in the country in there. I actually saw something interesting that when Lamar Jackson... Won the Heisman. So Lamar Jackson won the Heisman out five or six. Oh, I know you're talking about. It was Lamar (laughs) Jackson, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, and Stetson Bennett are all the same age. All the same age. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, (laughs) all those other guys are in the NFL, and two thirds of them are really, really good. Kyler Murray's okay, but this kid's still playing college football. Like, how is that even possible? But if it were me. I would have sent Blake Corum, and I probably would have sent that running back from Texas as the four people are Hendon Hooker, the quarterback from Tennessee. But this just goes to show you that the Heisman is kind of a joke of an award. You just have to play quarterback on a luxurious type team, and you're going to get invited to it. But outside of that, they got the playoff teams right. I'm super excited to watch the playoffs. Obviously, I'm pulling for Michigan. Georgia's going to be tough to beat again. So. And I mean, Ohio State and TCU are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll we'll see what happens come December 31st. It's been a euphoric college football season for me. Well, I, w- I was thinking about you because this is a good transition. I was thinking about you and the you were a little bit older, but roughly the same age my son was when Michigan last won the national title. F- 15 years, yeah. of, 15 years old, 1997. Yeah. So he's going to be 13 here in about a month. And he uh, so last year. We started off the year. I, we started off the year with the Bengals coming back from twenty-one-three to beat the Chiefs in Cincinnati, and then a few yeah. weeks later, weirdly at the AFC title game, the Bengals. Who I, I, I've lived here since '06. The first day I lived here, the Bengals were in the playoffs for the first time. I seen, I think since like '92, wow. and they had not won a game, a playoff game since then, till last year. 
it wasn't just cool, obviously, for the city. Okay, finally we won a playoff game. Now we don't have to be talked about with the Detroit Lions every time the damn playoffs roll around. But, you know, but they make the Super Bowl, and they're a play away. They're oh. a second away from Aaron Donald not killing Joe Burrow because yeah. Chase had Jalen Ramsey beat, and that, beat that's him. it. But, you know, we my son was excited, everything like that. But I, the reason why I brought you up is it's easier to be excited for your team when you're younger because when you're older— and you're sitting there waiting. It becomes more of a chore watching them. And Totally. <laughs> not that he has aged 30 years in the last year, but this football season to watch him is amazing. About He's got opinions on Zach Taylor. He's got opinions on position coaches. He's got pos- – I mean, and, and the Bengals, to be fair, didn't start off great. But They're fine. Exactly. They're probably – I saw you guys at the beginning of the season. Your son was freaking out, and I'm like, you got – a. Wait, you guys are going to be fine. I mean, the weapons on that team, I have not seen an offense like that since the Rams. Uh, the yeah, St. Totally. Louis Ram, the greatest show on turf. Three top-of-the-line receivers. And then you think about it last year, the Bengals were healthy. This year, they've been beat up, and they're sitting there looking at the playoffs again, which, I again, mm-hmm. it, it's cool as hell. It's nice to root for a team that's cool, whereas, yeah. like, your Packers, is they're, they're tiring. They're, yeah, I mean, they're, they're they're a team who's, I mean, I think Matt LaFleur is finally being exposed as not the yeah. great coach we all knew he was. Terrible head, terrible eye. Aaron Rodgers, or even you look at this year with the NFL, I watched a good portion of that Tampa game the other night that Tom Brady came back. What nobody's talking about is how terrible he was for yeah. 90% of that game. Or how bad the Saints defense played oh, at the end God. of that game. No, it's funny you say that about your son, too, because my son is dipping, my son's 10, and he'll be 11 in January. He's dipping his toes in the water of, of being a Michigan fan. My quote to him is, you don't want this life. <laughs> Every Saturday, our father and I watched football game, and I've told him multiple times this season, I wish I didn't care so much so I could get these four hours of my <laughs> life back every Saturday. Yeah, but it's cool when they win. It's great it's a, when they it's, I, it's fun when they win. I mean, I'm not I'm not a huge Michigan fan. I'm not a huge college football fan, period, but I watched that Ohio State Michigan game and it was a marvel to watch Michigan just I mean, look, Ohio State was leading at half. And yeah, I remember twenty to seventeen. Yeah, and I remember telling my son, because he was watching it too, I go, Michigan's gonna win this game. You could see it though. You could see that Ohio State just didn't have an answer. Again, Last weekend, the Chiefs the Chiefs beat the or the uh, Bengals beat the Chiefs three times this year. This calendar mm-hmm. year, yeah. they beat them three yeah. times. Somebody went to Wikipedia and they changed the owner of the Chiefs from the Hunts to Joe Burrow. I mean, <laughs> nice. It's but you watch that game and yeah, there's a a field goal they should have kicked at one time. Tyler Boyd dropped an easy touchdown, but you felt you could see okay, they're gonna win. It's good to yeah. see that confidence on a Joe Burrow or Jamar Chase got called for taunting because he was doing the make it rain thing after. He didn't even score the touchdown. The I think T. Nah. Higgins scored it and Chase is walking up to Kansas City, you know. But whatever. Well, and I, I was looking at my phone here a minute ago because you were talking about the Ohio State-Michigan game and a ton of people, family members and friends text me like, go blue is all go blue stuff. You send me the best text because at 2.53 when the game was over on that day, Quote, I can hear the cries of anguish from Columbus all the way down here. And I said, I love it. And then at 11 p.m. that same night, you sent me a Twitter thing from a guy, Matt Ford. I don't know who that is, but he wrote, and an Ohio State University, not the Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, it's like you said, when they win, it's fun to get texts like yes. that. It's fun to relish with other fans or people who know you're a fan of the team. So for your son's sake, 
he's he's at the right age right now to be a Bengals fan. Yeah. But I do worry for him having if he's got opinion on position coaches oh, already, <laughs> he's gonna be just like his uncle Ty when he gets older. So Yeah, who was it? Uh he, he wants Jim Harbaugh to come coach the Bengals. That's what he's No way. He his, said he squashed his, all those his, his, He has all these different ideas of people who could come. And I'm like, yeah. they have a coach who went to the Super Bowl who has yeah. a, a winning <laughs> anyways. But speaking of just weird fandom i mean baseball i always yeah. I'm, I'm always watching baseball and look i knew the reds were gonna suck this year they suck they lost 100 games you know whatever it's a, you know where you're seeing the beginning of this great Bengals team this is the end of this red squad blow it up start over that's just where you're at but the cardinals now yeah it's not a success because they didn't win the world series nope but I have to admit, you know, when my father-in-law was sick, my wife was back in St. Louis a lot, and she would talk about just how much the city was enthralled. With, I mean, every mm-hmm. time Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright got out there, it was something big. But Albert Pujols. Now, yeah. I will fully admit, I thought Pujols would not last a season. I thought, Me too. this is a cute story. But the Cardinals, they weren't paying them that much, honestly. No. And I remember the All-Star game. And I agree with this. Of all how terrible Manfred is, I think it was cool to have two older players in the home run derby as like an honorary mm-hmm. thing. And Pujols weirdly went to the semifinals or whatever. Yeah. And you could <laughs> yeah. see how the players like him. But I don't know what happened at that All-Star game because Albert Pujols became original Cardinals Albert Pujols. He uh-huh. had, I mean, it was incredible to watch him just run up to that 700 home run. But you were there. Yeah, no, it was funny too. You mentioned after the All-Star game, because I know later in the season, as Pujols was chasing 700 home runs, they played your Cincinnati Reds, and Pujols had a really good game. I believe he hit at least one, maybe yeah, two home two, runs. Yeah. The Reds announcer said that maybe he needs to be tested for steroids, and I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> like, let, let us have this or whatever. But I'm admittedly not the biggest baseball fan. I enjoy coaching my son and watching him play. It was something different because this was Yachty's and Albert. Pujols' last season. And mm-hmm. I mean, Yadier Molina, I feel like he's been with the Cardinals since I was 18 years old, yeah. maybe. Like, he's been around forever, and I think he's the greatest catcher of all time. I mean, I played catcher growing up, so that's yeah. a position I Be do careful. watch. Be careful. A lot of people here, Johnny Bench. <laughs> Johnny Bench, yeah. <laughs> we'll get it. And our dad was telling me somebody from, like, the 60s. I'm like, I don't even know who the hell uh-huh. you're talking about. But, no, for, at least for my generation, my era, Yadier Molina's the greatest, and yeah, I was like you when the Cardinals side Pujols. I thought, great, he'll get to finish. He'll get to plays last year in St. Louis. This is where he did all of his best work. I don't think anybody can argue that that his best playing days were early on in St. Louis, and this is where he won World Series. And I expected the Cardinals to be decent. I thought the Brewers were going to win that division going away, but it was nice to see the Cardinals play so well. To watch Yadier Molina do Yadier Molina things, but to watch Albert Pujols chase seven seven hundred home runs and I'd be at a game coaching my son's team with the other coaches, and we're all looking at our phones when Albert Pools is up to bat because we wanted to see what was going to happen. We were all interested, and even the boys on the baseball team would come. Did he hit one? Did he hit one? And we'd tell them what was going on. So it was nice to see people all the way from 50, 60. Even our father, who is a lifelong Brewer fan, even he was invested. Our mom was invested on seeing what was going on. So it was cool. It was cool to have the city. St. Louis is historically one of the best baseball towns in America. I know a lot of people hate the Cardinals. I get <laughs> it. But it's a great baseball town, and it was cool to go to Bush and see all the people there. And 
just watching all that. And the Cardinals had a really good season, and then they totally blew it in that playoff <sighs> game against the Phillies. But it was just cool to, to watch and to see these two all-time Cardinal greats and especially Albert Pujols, finished their career the way they finished it. It would have been better with the World Series ring, but I'll take what we got. I, I will say quickly about the World Series and that Phillies team. I remember I joked early in the year about how, let's see how well the Phillies do with their eight DHs. And, <laughs> I mean, trust Made me. It to the World Series. Trust me, I saw Nick <laughs> Castellanos here in Cincinnati, and I love Nick, but, yeah, he he's a DH, not a <laughs> not an outfielder. And, no, it was cool. And I like Bryce Harper a lot. I know he's obnoxious. I know some people can't stand him. Sure. But I've always liked Bryce, and it's a shame. And I, I, I'm glad Dusty finally got his, but why has sure. it got to be with the Astros? Well, and that was a funny thing. When I saw it was Houston and Philly, I'm like, Jesus, who are people supposed to root for yeah. outside of those two cities? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was rooting for Philadelphia, but again, I'm glad Dusty got his. And you know, well, they, you got the Phillies fans who throw batteries at yeah. Santa, and then you got Houston who is found to be a like they're worse than the Patriots as yeah. far as all the stuff. That's oh yeah, yeah, no, they're they're <laughs> terrible. Let's talk quickly basketball here. Yeah, I who won the NCAA? It was the Warrior. Oh, the NCAA championship was won by KU. They beat that's North right. Carolina, that's a, North Carolina. It was a great game. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. I knew North Carolina. <laughs> I feel bad about forgetting about KU, but like North Carolina, I don't know what the hell happened to them this year. But I don't. Pay well, it's it. nine. I, as yeah, I say, nine I, games into the season. Yeah, I don't even pay attention. Right. But yeah, the NBA, the the Warriors, the Golden yeah, State Warriors, the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, what can you say about the NBA season? It was awesome because being a Grizzlies fan, they were the number two seed in the West. And John Morant is ascending to superstardom. He's going to get his own signature Nike shoes soon, which is awesome. But like getting to see them play. And my son really got into basketball this year. He's a big Bulls fan. We got to go watch the Grizzlies play the Bulls. And last season into the playoffs, the Bulls had a good record and they were playing well. The NBA is just, it continues to evolve. It continues to become this great league. I cannot wait to watch this French kid play next year, this 7-2 Victor Webin Yama kid. People, if you don't know who he is, go look him up. He's a freak of nature, and he's going to be so awesome in the NBA. It was a fun season. I think basketball players are the most athletic professional athletes in the world because of the things they do on the court. But the finals was, it was amazing seeing Steph and seeing Clay, and even though I don't like him, seeing Draymond Green, and then guys like Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kuminga, Kevon Looney, all these guys. Andrew the Wiggins. Too. Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Warriors, for the most part, though, have built this team through their own draft, built this team from the inside. And I despise the Boston Celtics. I really like watching Jason Tatum play basketball. I think Jalen Brown is a hell of a basketball player as well. And I thought it was inevitable that they were going to win when they went up 2-1. But then Steph Curry just became Steph Curry again. Seemingly couldn't miss shots. Klay Thompson looked like Klay Thompson again. It was remarkable to watch the Warriors do what they did, to watch Andrew Wiggins, like you said. People thought he was done. He wasn't going to win the MVP of the finals because that was Steph's to lose, Mm -hmm. but he could have won it, you know, if there was anybody else in there. But to see the Warriors win the the finals, this it's like the Suns-Bucks finals to me when Giannis just went supernova. But the Warriors are this, it's a team I should despise, a team I shouldn't like at all because they are dynastic, but... It's hard not to like Klay Thompson. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to like Steph Curry. And to lose a player like Kevin Durant with these guys getting older, to watch them win, to watch them win the way they did, it was awesome. I have nothing but respect for the Warriors, for Steph Curry, for Klay Thompson, for Steve Kerr. All those guys, they more than deserve all the accolades they get. And it was just so cool. And to hear Steph say, this one means the most to me, like that's so awesome to me. I 
I love the NBA. I think it's the best sport in the world. I'm just so happy with everything that happened. Oh, no, the NBA is in some kind of like peak form right now. It's a great game to watch. There's great players to watch. It's frustrating as hell that Brooklyn takes up half of the news with all the shenanigans and and, and the Lakers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, (laughs) but to see, I mean, these Warriors teams in a lot of ways remind me of those Spurs teams from the early Mm -hmm. two thousands and that it's hard to root against them. Which speaking of which, have you seen Tim Duncan lately? Yeah. He's got big dreads and everything now. Yeah, man. Uh, somebody said, I, it might have been Giannis or somebody, but they said when he when they retire, they want to be like Tim Duncan because where the hell is Tim Duncan right now? And he just pops up here and there. No, I, I, hear, I hear he may be the next Spurs coach. Uh, that would rule. Uh, so. I would love that so much. <laughs> to close out, a few other things. There was an Olympics this year. There was. <laughs> the Winter yeah. Olympics in Beijing, which, again, no fans in the stands, all this other stuff. I can honestly, I mean, I don't remember a damn thing. Me neither. I, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what happened in the Olympics. Uh, There's the, nothing that comes to mind. Yeah, the me. World Cup is going on right now, which for those that don't know, if you listen to this podcast, there's a good chance you don't know. That's a soccer tournament. <laughs> um, it's in the country of Qatar, which, honest to God, slaves built the facilities. Yeah. Like they would bring yeah. people in and take their passports and not pay them. Look, FIFA's awful. The Olympic Committee's awful. These are all awful, awful organizations. Totally. And But having said that, look, I think it was cool as hell that the U.S. made it to the, the, the main tournament. Sure. I didn't watch any of them, but sure. I, I, obviously, I knew about it because I read sports news, yeah. but I haven't watched a single second of the World Cup. No, and look, if it's the United States playing against Iran, I'm going to root for the United States. Okay? <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, but there is a player, his brother, his family or something in Iran just got hung and killed. I mean, people Jesus. don't get that there's real world problems and crap going on. And yeah. we're going we're gonna to finish off with that stuff. But I, I won't watch the World Cup for a variety of reasons. I just don't freaking care. I just show my son The Simpsons where soccer comes to town. and Passes through head center. Passes to half. Back to center. Back to half. Holds it. Holds it. Holds yeah. yeah. Finally decide who's the greatest country in the world, Portugal or Mexico. Yeah, Adiaga. Adiaga too. And Badiaga. So good. So, so, but do want to say tennis, because we have tennis fans. This was the end of an absolute era, epic era in tennis. Not just Serena Williams walking away and making a little bit of a run before she walked away. Yeah. But Roger Federer. I mean, oh, yeah. this I is. I forgot about that. Yeah, just I'll talk with Tina about this. And is tennis in. As good of a spot now as it was 10 years ago, I don't think it is. And I think I think those two being gone is going to be a big, big, big hole. And tennis, like every other sport, has some scandals that are brewing, that are bubbling up oh, yeah. and things like that. But, you know, you look back on it and I would argue, I've said this before, I think Serena Williams is the greatest athlete of my lifetime. You know, not yeah. female athlete, not this, not – but – and then Roger Federer. I know Rafael Nadal and Djokovic have passed him up, but the dominance, I think – was it – he was in the, the semifinals of all the major tournaments for like 12 straight years. Pretty, pretty <laughs> You know, when you're one of the last four standing, I mean, that's just consistency. Yeah. Well, but, it's funny. You say that about Serena too, and I, I actually think I probably agree with you, and it's laughable to me that I, – I think it was time or somebody said that. Aaron Judge is the athlete of the year. And it's like, come on, he's a baseball player. Like, yeah. as much as I understand he's a professional athlete and he's very good at what he does, but come on, dude. Serena Williams are 
LeBron James or yeah. Stephen Curry or somebody I'm going to talk about here before we close out this first half. So all of that stuff, we are we don't talk a lot about the WNBA. We don't talk about mm. this, but thinking of the global aspect of sports and what this means. I don't think people understand enough that, you know, Brittany Griner's name be- mm-hmm. before all this crap happened in Russia. You know her name because she was an exceptional athlete. One of the greatest college basketball yeah. and WNBA players of all time. Yeah, she was when she was at Baylor. I think she was dunking, which oh, was yeah. a big she deal. Said, when she was in high school, she yeah. was dunking. And then she goes on to the WNBA, one of their top players. Again, you all know who she is because of how great of an athlete she is. Yep. And then a lot of other things. Obviously, we become a little bit more accepting of same-sex marriage and gay culture, but she is in the same-sex marriage, all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing about the Brittany Griner story that I I really want to highlight is the reason she got arrested in Russia, the reason why she was in Russia, is because they don't get paid a lot. This is not an NBA team, an an MLB team, or any of that other stuff. And I know a lot of people will say, well, nobody goes to their games. That's BS. You actually watch it. The WNBA, as a league, does not lose money. I know it's, it's the reason why it sticks around, why it's exactly. been around for so long. But she has to go play in the offseason in other places. She's playing in Russia and is caught with trace amounts of marijuana for a vape pen. And mm-hmm. Russia basically takes her as a political prisoner. Yep. This is the good transition into the second half, but here are your thoughts on it. The day we record this. There was a swap made. Now, all the right wingers, of course, are like, oh, you got an America hating so and so, and we gave over yeah. a terrorist and all this other stuff. I don't give a crap, okay? This is an American citizen, and there are American citizens in prison, political prisoners all over the world. But this is yeah. one everybody knew about because it's a huge athlete. She's on her way home now. Yeah, if, she, if she's not home yet, she's on a plane. I mean, home. of all the great crap we talked about, that is the sports story of the year, in my opinion. I woke up this morning to a Bleacher Report notification that she was there had been a prisoner swap and she was coming home. And like I mentioned with Michigan football, this feeling of euphoria came over me because she wasn't in jail for theft or murder or abuse. And Ty, I want to say something right away. This isn't jail like you think of jail. This was it's bad. It's a they call it a penal colony. If you guys have ever seen a handmaiden's tale, it's like the uranium fields are out in. It's hard labor. It's awful stuff. So good. She was in jail for, like you said, trace amounts of marijuana, which is pretty much legal everywhere in the US now, as far as I can tell. And this wasn't because she had marijuana on her because it's illegal over in Russia. This was because People know who Brittany Griner was, and Russia has all kinds of problems, but they figure, we're going to put this person in jail. We're going to make an example of this person. She was supposed to be in jail for nine years Mm -hmm. for marijuana. Think about that. And you're right. I woke up this morning. I had this feeling of euphoria. And like an idiot, I read the comments on Bleacher Report, and it's so bad. Just the things people will go online behind a screen name without their picture on it and say is so hurtful. It's so hateful. It's so wrong on so many levels. Brittany Griner was a political prisoner. She should not have been in jail for what she was doing. And I applaud the current administration for doing what they did, for getting her out of there, for making a prisoner swap. And that's what you see about all these people commenting is they're going to hand over somebody called the merchant of death. I don't care who they handed over. Brittany Griner gets to come home. She gets to be with her wife. She gets to see her family. She was in that jail since February. I want these people who are bad her to think about what if you were put in jail for something minor? Something that isn't even illegal in your country. 
and you hadn't you had been in that jail for almost an entire year. And like you said, it's not fancy jail that the full house lady went to. This is a penal colony. Mm-hmm. She had to work and she didn't do anything wrong. Like there was nothing wrong that she did. She had marijuana on her. She was playing, like you said, she was in Russia playing basketball because she doesn't make enough money to live in America doing it. The fact that she's getting out, that she's coming home, that she's going to be with her wife, she's going to be with her family. It's a great, great story. It's the best sports story of the year. And it might be, in my opinion, the best human story of the year. Like she's home. If she's not home yet, she's going to be home. She's back with her people. Like, think about that. That That's such, such great news. And I'm so happy for her. And I think it's just phenomenal that she's coming home. I, I, I can't put it into right words. I'm kind of jumping all over mm-hmm. the place. But the fact that Brittany Griner is coming home is very, very good news. Like I said, this is a good transition because if you guys are all already like, oh, God, Biden's the worst is the worst, then then tune out right now. Because every time I've talked about Biden on this podcast, I've been pretty critical. I'm going to be heaping a lot of praise on the old ass man in the second half. Hey, I phone banked for him in 2020. So I, I'm here. You heap praise on him. Hello all, this is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about another podcast that I do work on called High Heels in Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of this state, she's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because She talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Uh, Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on High Heels in Politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. Okay, everyone. Uh, like I teased before, Ty, he decided that he wanted to jump out and be happy and celebrate all that sports because the only thing I was going to do is make him upset if we talked about politics. But here's a little bit of a spoiler. For those of you guys that know me who listen to the ones that I do politically, I've been very critical this year, very critical, very critical of Joe Biden. And let's start here where we ended with the Brittany Griner thing. I'm recording this about a day after time I recorded the sports one. And predictably, all the right-wingers are mad. And it's, it's just predictable. It's sad. It's predictable. It's who they are. It's They are invested in just, they're invested in America not being as great as they all claim to be. But I think to myself, and I think, how did I feel about all of this the whole year? The best way to really sum up the year in politics is to go just a little bit over a month ago and the midterms. I don't know if I said this on this podcast, and I've told other people, but I went into that election day as psychologically down as I think I've ever been in an election. And I've 
did my first election professionally uh, was paid in 1992. So it's been 30 years. And part of it might be age. Part of it might be I have a lot more responsibility in the world and stuff like that. But I never used to let it psychologically get to me like this particular election did. And I was not looking forward to it. And I had a lot of people saying, oh, it's going to be the end of America. Or this is going to happen or this is going to happen. I had an intern that I worked with over the summer right around when the Dobbs decision came down. And she's like, you keep telling me things get better, but things don't seem to be getting better. And I believed her. And I, I went into that election day thinking we're going to have a lot of challenges moving forward. And things didn't go that bad. I know the Republicans took over the House, but it's a razor thin majority. And the Democrats took more control of the Senate. I am recording this the day that Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema has decided to be an independent. And I, I'm not going to go too much into that one. This is just a way for her to get reelected. When it comes to Supreme Court justices, which we got a new one this year, she's going to vote with the Democrats. And yeah, she's a tiring, tiring, tiring person. But at the end of the day, I, I know people, it's not like Tulsi Gabbard. Okay, it's not like Tulsi Gabbard changing over because she didn't go from being a Democrat to being an independent. She went from being somebody who has Democrat behind their name, but is a right winger to being an out and open right winger. The midterms actually gave me a little bit of hope. And all of the podcasts I'd recorded this year, I'd been really difficult on President Biden. I'd been really kind of coming down on him, frustrated in a lot of ways that we're seeing the same, I'm going to use this word here, but the same malaise that we had with the Obama presidency, where it just, things did not seem to be moving in the direction we want them to move. Now, when I say we, look, my politics, I'm very open. I am very, very much, I do not consider myself a liberal. I do not like that term. I am fairly left-wing. I have extremely, extremely progressive views on things like taxation, education, all this other stuff. But a lot of these views are born out of the fact that we got a lot of problems in this country. Our public education system is worse now than it was when I graduated high school nearly 30 years ago. Our healthcare system is worse now. Income inequality is terrible. I was telling somebody, because this is part of politics too, is the whole Elon Musk takeover of Twitter. You know, people need to get that. I, I know they want to worship Elon Musk, and I know we all want to worship somebody, and I know the left worshiped from for a while, and now the right worships him or whatever. But Elon Musk has been a product of bailouts, okay, or of authoritarianism. He was born in South Africa during apartheid. His parents ran a gem mine. Their business, his wealth was dependent upon authoritarianism. A lot of ways we want to think our economy is catered towards the consumer. The customer is always right. But there's a point in these authoritative regimes where the economy is tied to the autocrats. And I think in a lot of ways we need to understand that is where America has been trending for a few decades now. And it's where we're at. So, of course, Elon Musk wants to kiss up to the autocrats, to the authoritarians, because that's how he's going to make money at the end of the day. And that's all that's important to him. So destabilizing the the progressives, the people that are trying to bring progress, is good for business for him. And it's good for business for a lot of these people. I mean, it's no coincidence that gas prices have suddenly gone down after the election. 
It's no coincidence that we're probably going to see prices in grocery stores and things like that go down. And I know we can celebrate Joe Biden for a lot of this stuff, but at the end of the day, we live in a society where our businesses are trying to cater to the autocrats. And this year proved that more than anything. I mean, you can yell at me all you want, stuff like that, but Donald Trump is an awful human being. He's an awful American, and he was an awful president. And these people want to make it out like it's a choice between him or Biden. If that's the choice, then I got to go with Biden, who's been pretty damn successful. Now, granted, everything he's done hasn't changed the world in one way or the other. But just by saying the things he's going to do, the student loan forgiveness, it doesn't go far enough, but it goes farther than it's gone before. The decriminalization of marijuana, again, not far enough, but farther than before. And at the end of the day, is while Fox News and even CNN and stuff like that relentlessly go after Biden, he's been delivering. He's been getting legislation passed. He got a Supreme Court justice in there. He essentially won the primary. I mean, he his party was able to keep power. And so I think if you look at 2022 from a perspective of uh, – of Joe Biden, it was a pretty goddamn successful political year in a lot of ways. And I mean, we're coming towards the end of it. And yes, there's the whole Kristen Cinema garbage, but Raphael Warnock just won in Georgia. And I know everybody's like, it's closer than it should have been and stuff like that, but he won. He's going to be the next senator, which leads me to the other big political lesson I think we learned in 2022. And Get ready for this, my my Democratic Party friends, because I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you under the fire on this too. I'm gonna do what I hate more than anything, the whole both sides thing. But the quality of the candidate matters. Now, every election is different, okay? And everybody wants to think that things are always the same. And they always bring up it's especially why the Republicans just can't get their heads out of their asses about bringing up past politics. Back in two thousand and eight. When you had Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama going for the Democratic Party primary, the Hillary Clinton people kept saying experience matters. It matters to have somebody that knows what they're doing. And it didn't matter at that time. People wanted something different. They wanted something that made them feel good in a lot of ways. And that's what Obama gave them. And then in 2016, especially with the Republicans, it wasn't about that they all wanted Donald Trump. It's that they allowed 18 candidates to get up there and to split the votes until Trump could just wait everyone else out. And then they literally, everything broke exactly the way they needed to in order for him to win the presidency. But him as president, but also as a candidate in 2020 is why he lost. Because the quality of the candidate matters. But they don't get it. The Republicans think Donald Trump is a celebrity in the same way that Barack Obama was a celebrity to the Democrats. But he's not. Obama represented this momentum, this hope of moving forward, whereas Trump represented just the lizard parts of our brain. He represented the darkness of America. And yeah, that appealed to a lot of people. It didn't appeal to enough for him to win an election because he did not win the popular vote either time. But the fact that when you get into these popular vote races and the Republicans think, well, we all love Trump. We have this. I, I saw this here in Ohio with J.D. Vance, who did win, who is going to be a terrible senator, who is a dumb human being. But Ohio, a very Republican state, all the Republicans won statewide here. It wasn't even close. 
And yes, Vance's race was a little bit further. He It wasn't close between he and the Democrat, but it, it seemingly was. It was a campaign. It was Mitch McConnell and Republicans had to dump a bunch of money into Ohio into a race that should not have been close. And in turn, they couldn't dump money elsewhere or even better yet, they didn't really judge. I, in Pennsylvania, I would say Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz may be the worst candidate ever, but then I've got Herschel Walker running up the middle here to, to take that crown. I mean, these were awful candidates and they were running in states that Look, people want to, may want to think that Georgia is some kind of Republican stronghold. And yes, Republicans did well at the top level, but this is where I, I – I'll, I'll get to that. Hold on. I want to finish with the Republicans here. But these candidates they ran in Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, these are purple to red states – or I'm sorry, blue states. Um, these are states that are moving more towards the Democratic Party. And yes, Fetterman was not the greatest candidate in Pennsylvania, but Oz was worse. And I know people want to bring up all this stuff about Warnock, but Herschel Walker was just absolutely terrible. But it was, well, Trump likes him. J.D. Vance, well, Trump likes him. And so the party loves Trump and this. No, it didn't work. The Arizona people in a very close, very contested race, just their pure ugliness, the pure chaos of them. But then let's talk about the Democrats, because you're wanting to talk about the polar opposite. I mean, I know I'm going to have to be inundated with Carrie Lake and these idiots for the next few years, but they're, they're terrible. They're just they're losers is what they are. Like Trump, they are losers. They represent the loser mentality very well of the Trump Republican Party. But they're going to sit there and they're going to whine and they're going to cry. And then, like I said, fail son autocrats like or wannabe autocrats like Elon Musk are going to continue to platform them and highlight them and all of that stuff. But they're going to continue to lose unless the Democrats don't learn their damn lesson. Stacey Abrams may be a perfectly fine human being. She is an awful candidate. And you guys need to get that through your thick heads. Maybe she's a great organizer. Maybe she's this. But the money that was given to her, especially from out of state, you might as well have thrown it into a into a pit and lit it on fire. It was no surprise that she wasn't going to win. No surprise whatsoever. The self-inflicted wounds that people like her constantly do, but then the media, the MSNBCs of the world, the used-to-be CNNs of the world and stuff like that, continue to prop her up as some kind of hero, some kind of icon. She's a bad candidate. She's not as bad as Beto O'Rourke. Now, I was thrilled as hell when Beto O'Rourke was out there cursing and yelling after Uvalde and all this other stuff. But again, he was never going to win. Now, people are going to say, you know what, Cub? A Democrat's never going to win Texas. That's not true. But Beto O'Rourke wasn't running for the governor of Texas. He was running for the United States person that's going to represent Texas in the governor's office. He was a national candidate. He was somebody that was always being propped up by the media, which just incensed the Republicans in Texas even more. There's a, a famous saying that all politics is local, and your Beto O'Rourke is not a local politician. I mean, a lot of people are going to bring up like Gavin Newsom or something like that and say he does the same thing. No, he doesn't. A lot of the national people may talk about it, but that guy runs – a California campaign. That's what he does. That's not what Beto O'Rourke did. And once again, I saw this two years ago with Amy McGrath in Kentucky. All this money went to them. 
All of this money, money that could have gone to Tim Ryan here in Ohio, money that could have gone to Wisconsin, to their race. But no, Beto O'Rourke, he's handsome and he curses and he does this and he does this and he's an icon we all love. Let's just throw money into a pit and light it on fire. And that is why Greg Abbott is is the governor of Texas again. It's why Kemp is the governor of Georgia again. Terrible, awful, horrible governors. But the Democrats find a way to run celebrities against them. They just get the other side pissed off. So I hope this – I'm going to keep the politics part here short because Ty and I went a bit longer on the sports. But that's my year in politics right there. It was a hell of a year for Joe Biden. Great year for Joe Biden. He should be sitting back. He should be very, very happy. It's, a, I think, a better year for America in general that maybe we haven't slipped as much into um, to the crazy train as I feared we were. I, I'm not even going to get into what we're going to see in 2023, but it's it's going to be a – it's going to be a, just a portage on after 20 people with diarrhea went through. It is going to be a nightmare beyond a nightmare. And yeah, these failures, these people that know nothing about building, that know nothing about coalitions, like your Elon Musks, like your Donald Trumps and stuff like that, they're going to scream as loud as they can. But I think we look back and I think, I think we know, and we've known for a while, that there's more people that want to do good in America than not. And that's it. That was that was the year in politics. That was a year in sports for 2022. Thank Ty for coming in and dropping the knowledge on that stuff. And I thank you guys. I mean, it, I just could not say otherwise, but we've been doing this podcast for a while. I've got a very good, loyal fan base. I adore you guys for it. But this has been our best year ever, and by a lot. It gives me a lot of pride in the work that Ty and I and Tina and us that we do here, but it also make, gives me some responsibility that I feel like, hey, I got to come with the fire, and so uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Next week, we're going to do movies, television, music, the general pop culture of 2022, and then we're getting ready for 2023, which, man, that is like such a futuristic year, 2023. Yeah, it's crazy. Make sure you guys come on over to SeedSing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com, Millennial Man. With all that being said, I thank you for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, remember we are here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. Go out and see some Christmas lights. Go out and drink some eggnog. Go out and be married to your fellow man and woman. And uh, talk to you next week. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.